And what I found was that a lot of times people who give advice in books, in uh, DVDs, on the internet, surprise, surprise, when you meet them in real life and you get down to brass tacks, you find out that they just made that crap up. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, now imagine this. You walk into the company that you started whose brand you represent, whose, whose voice is yours. For all intents and purposes, everything about this company is associated with you, your personal brand. You walk in one day and the company that you've poured your life into building for the last 11 years, they fire you. They send you packing. You have no access to your contacts, no access to your email, just done. Well, that could be a disaster and a recipe for the end for most people, but not for this week's guest. Jordan Harbinger joined us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show on our second episode back in 2016. And obviously, a lot has changed in both of our lives. So I wanted to catch up with Jordan on his new marriage and how he's been developing himself as a person and what's going on with his newest adventure, The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you don't know Jordan already, he's a lawyer turned social dynamics expert and entrepreneur. And you can go back and listen to episode two for more of his background. And for 11 years, he hosted and helped run the company called The Art of Charm, which also had a podcast called The Art of Charm Podcast. But now he's running The Jordan Harbinger Show, where he deconstructs the playbooks of the most successful people on earth and shares their strategies, perspectives, and insights with the rest of us. Getting fired from The Art of Charm and being forced to start a new project felt daunting, as you could expect at first. But in reality, he came to to learn that he already had created powerful enough relationships with fans and colleagues. And those people, those relationships were more than willing to support him through this transition. In fact, launching him on a new trajectory that has all the potential in the world to be even more successful than his first. And in fact, even most of his team stayed with him. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes. There's a lot of value about forgiveness, dealing with adversity, shock and awe, and all of the things that go along with being fired by a company that you helped create and build for 11 years. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jordan Harbinger, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been a, a while. You were uh, a guest back on episode two in, when we launched in 2016. And there's been a lot of changes in your life and my life. So welcome back. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, before we uh, dive in, my daughter, I was driving with my daughter and I've kind of been testing this new question based on what she asked me. I was driving with her. She's 10, now 11, actually. She just turned 11. And we were going to get gas and she said, Hey, dad, did you always like your name or did you ever want to change your name? And I'm like, wow, what, a, what an interesting question. Because the truth is, is that I didn't actually always like being called Michael J. Flynn Jr. And in fact, today, as we were discussing before uh, we hit record, it causes me some problems because people confuse me with Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and his son, Michael yeah. Flynn Jr. Because <laughs> there's a lot of geniuses in the world. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> so my daughter asked me this question and, and I shared with her, no, that I didn't always like it, and but that I came to like it and I owned it my senior year of high school when I had to choose how they read my name at, at graduation. So I wrote down, I want you to read Michael J. Flynn Jr. 
So I'm just curious because your name is obviously your personal brand, right? Jordan mm-hmm. Harbinger. Right. Is, did you always like your name or did you ever think about your name as, I don't like it, I would wish it were something else? I think everyone does that, right? Well, first of all, let me sort of correct a part of the record here. So my first name, which I don't use on anything, in fact, uh, it's not like a big secret or anything. I use it to separate different facets of like my identity. So like when I get like, you know, certain types of communication, I use my first name, which is actually Eric. It's not a huge secret. Oh, okay. but I've been going by Jordan for so long that it's not like, ooh, I know your secret name. I'm gonna <laughs> it's not it's it's like if your name was the same as your father's, like yours, and then they're like, Oh, let's just use your middle name because it's effing confusing when I'm yelling across the house. <laughs> so we just okay. So that's that's kind of how that's been going. So that was cool because I started doing that. I started using my middle name only in at the end of high school because my dad retired. And it was like, he, since he was around all the time, there were calls coming in. I mean, this is pre-cell phone. The phone rings. It's like, hi. is And then you're like, oh, crap. Who do you mean? So that got confusing. I was getting older. So I started getting mail, which, as you know, is like... That's confusing. So you yeah. start opening your dad's mail and then he's angry with you. And then he's opening your mail and he's like, what the hell is this? And you're like, that's mine, right? So that that whole thing. So I just started going by my middle name. So yeah, that kind of saw, that satisfied a little bit of my need to be like, I'm my own person now who I decide to be. <laughs> and I think a lot of other people, and I'm not even joking here, I think a lot of other people solve this by getting a freaking ugly ass tattoo. <laughs> you know, they try to separate their identity. They're like, I'm going to get a piercing and a tattoo, or I'm going to do some other thing. Going by my middle name was like the vanilla suburban <laughs> nerd version of being like, I'm my own man now. Right. Dude, like, I'm laughing hilariously because I did those. <laughs> of course. Who didn't? Right. <laughs> I mean, I did the dumbest things, man. I will, I, I'm, a, I'm an open book, so I'll share. But I, I got my, I had one of those, the first thing I did that was dumb was I got, you know, my ear pierced here on my the typical, you know, yeah. earlobe position. And then I got one of those cheesy cartilage hoop earrings. Oh here. yeah. And then the worst thing I did was I got my tongue pierced. Oh man. <laughs> so bad for your teeth. Oh man, my tooth is chipped. Yeah. And the, how the the that was a very, very short lived phase because um my mom was, you know, just I tried to hide it from my parents. Yeah, how that how that work out? <laughs> and uh, and my mom discovered it one day. I was driving a truck, and she was putting gas in my tank because I was like, "Hey, mom, can you put gas in my tank?" Because I'm if you you're gonna use your money, I'll take your money. You know, I was right. just an idiot. Anyway, so she goes, "Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, drive to the store, and and I'm gonna get gas too." And so she's in line, and I walk up there, and she's pumping gas in my car, and she's like, "What's that in your mouth?" And I'm like. Uh, it, it's uh, nothing. She's like, show nothing. Me, show, me your tongue, show me your tongue. So I stick my tongue out. Oh man, my mom's from Boston. Okay, um, Lowell, Massachusetts, to be specific. And she gets pissed, and she walks out to the truck, and without thinking, she just yanks the 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 gas out, and it starts spewing everywhere. Oh sh! And it was it made matters worse. And the next day, I. I separated from my tongue ring because I valued my relationship with my mother more. <laughs> wow, she got that angry? That seems oh, like an overreaction. Yeah, you know, I think it was just like, you know, I I, my, I come from a very conservative family. Yeah, uh, you don't say. And uh, and she just did not like that. And especially because I had kept it a secret. And, and you know, she felt I, like I'd just been dishonest. You know, we value honesty and if I had just told them what I was doing, like they didn't care when I told them I was going to go. I mean, they cared, but when I told them I was going to go get a tattoo, which I did of my initials on my back with some shamrocks and stuff. You so know? you have like a tramp stamp of your initials? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it's a about a foot up uh, between oh, good. the shoulder blades. You know? Yeah, yeah. Got it, got uh, it. Okay, that's good. Yeah, no, I mean, no eastbound and down action, you know? So anyway, so that you know, back to the ranch here. You know, yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> On that there's, there's been a lot of of changes in your life. None, none the least of which is the fact that you got married, which is super amazing. And I'd love to learn what the biggest blessing is has been thus far in in your marriage to Jen. 
You know, for me, being married, what if I'd known how much fun it was going to be, I would have done it earlier. I'll say that. And the other thing is, I think knowing that you have someone on your team and it's like very, you, it's hard to explain almost. There's a sense of permanence that I think a lot of people find scary when they're younger, but that I found very relaxing. Mm. And it's like, okay, now when I plan something, and this is probably the naivete of somebody who gets married anyway, but you plan something and you're like, oh yeah, you know, we should buy this property and then like 10 or 20 years, it's going to be worth more. And then da da da, we can invest in this and like, hey, why don't we do that together? Oh, let's plan. And you can plan long term, which is actually better, as you know, for just business and, and investments in general. Long term is always right. kind of a win. And you do that, you're able to do that. But like when I was with other, even long term relationships, I was, there's a, in fact, my longest girlfriend I was with. As long as I've been with my wife currently, but I, you know, you think differently. You're not like let's buy a house. You're like, uh, yeah, let's not plan a vacation further than eight months out because you never know, right? Mm-hmm. And so that it's kind of nice to go. Okay, here's the plan for this year, plan for next year. Okay, then here's where kids come into play. Here's where this comes into play. So you have all these cool things you can look forward to, and that you can plan that you never had. There were never options before. If you were doing things in a responsible way, and I, I know that sounds judgy, but like I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that most people who are listening to this and watching this are not like, oh, you don't have to be married or be with someone to have kids. Like, yes, okay, fine, maybe some people believe that, but truthfully, there's a lot of evidence that suggests the kids should have two parents at least, right? So, yeah. like, you don't have that option with some long-term girlfriend where you're like, yeah, well, regardless of whether anything works out with her, I'm still going to have three kids. Like, that's generally not something that I've heard a lot of people say. Yeah. So you get to plan long term and you get to plan all these things that you've probably been thinking about if you're anything like me for your whole life. Kids, mm-hmm. property, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be kids. Mm-hmm. Um, business stuff and you can plan long term. Now, yeah, things can go horribly awry and often do in even marriages. But I don't think you should go into a marriage thinking, yeah, this is probably going to be one of those temporary huge mistakes. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you probably should go into it like at least committing uh, as much as you can in a responsible way. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, it's been the biggest blessing in my life. My wife and I have been married for 14 years. We have four kids now. That's good. Yeah, and, uh, it's weird. You have to tread lightly, right? Because you say like, yeah. oh, it's all these things. And then people are like, well, be careful. I've been divorced three times. And I'm yeah. like, maybe I don't want to take advice from you. I don't know. You know, but the, 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 the best part about it now, and she was my guest on episode 100. So I, uh, I had her on and we talked about our journey and our marriage. And yeah things that we've learned and what things that we're still learning. But the cool part about a committed relationship in, in, in particular in a marriage, because when you're married, you're both kind of moving in the same direction with the same kind of vision and goals, which is different than even if you're in a committed relationship, because you're not really, because you still have like different visions of the future, but potentially if you're not committed in, in a married sense, you know, but uh, the cool, the cool thing for us has been reflecting on the, on the past, you know, and and taking those lessons out and you know discarding what we don't want like and carrying forward what we what we do like and and holding that up you know that's really powerful so another big change for you guys has been the fact that how you how and where you are sharing your gifts and talents with the world has changed and i want to talk about uh, that and specifically as i shared with you i'm going to call this episode the art of coming back because it is an art. But before we dive into that, I wanted to share a comment from one of your fans. One of your fans shared with me. I reached out to some people and I asked if they had any questions or anything like that. And this, this one gal named Shelly, and she's in Jason Gaynard's Community Made group, which I'm also in. And she said, I don't have any questions, but please let him know that his fans think he is great. And no matter who he works with or where he goes, we will listen. Faith and strength, exclamation point. Well, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, wanted, I wanted to share that with you because yeah. I think that that was, it's, you know, I mean, you get emails and stuff, but, and you probably got a lot of support, you know, but it's, it's, it's always, it's never enough. It doesn't get old. Doesn't get old. Yeah. Never, yeah. yeah. You know? It shouldn't. If, it, if, if your fans writing you and telling you that what they love, what you create, 
is getting old, then you should retire before you turn into like a horrible person, <laughs> right? Know. If it's and, not too late. And even if it's one person, even if it's just one person that you hear from, like I, I actually heard from somebody who's been listening to the show for since the beginning and they've never written me an email or anything until recently I had a guy named Patrick, Patrick Lencioni on the show. Mm-hmm. And after that episode, this guy emailed me like a, a, a very long email Tell me about the episode, what he appreciated, and then what his struggles are. And it gave me an opportunity to go back and encourage him and introduce him to some resources. And that is super rewarding. Another thing that a lot of my audience has been pinging me for in advance of this episode is, is wanting to learn from your about your habits and the way that you approach personal development and learning. And, and, and I'm also curious about that because I listen to your show and I... You, you, you ask brilliant questions. You're interviewing the, 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 these brilliant minds. And you consume not only that content, but I, I know on your website, you watch a lot of documentaries and other content. So how do you go about filtering through all of that and implementing what works for you? So I take a lot of recommendations from the show's fans, of course. So that's how I find things initially a lot of the time. And then... Applying what works for me has been something that I... This is kind of how I started with the whole thing, right? Because when I first started 11 years ago, even before then, even 12, 13 years ago, before the show started, before podcasting existed, frankly, I was going through body language and nonverbal communication material. And I was trying different things that that I thought would work for me because they said they would work in the book or, mm-hmm. or the DVD product that I bought. And... I was a little skeptical about some of the things because they sounded strange, but I thought, okay, you know, counterintuitive things have worked for me before. So I started working through those things and some things I just could not get to work. And people were like, oh, well, maybe it just doesn't work for you. And I, I like, I would not accept that. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, well, how could something work for someone else and not for me? It doesn't make any sense. And what I found was that a lot of times people who give advice in books, in uh, DVDs on the internet, surprise, surprise. When you meet them in real life and you get down to brass tacks, you find out that they just made that crap up. <laughs> you know, and I'm and I and found that horrifying. I remember learning a bunch of of dating material and like persuasion and influence and body language and going to this guy's birthday party in California. And I was like, this is gonna be so cool. I'm gonna meet all these authors because it was a popular author in the genre. Uh, of stuff like the self-help genre. So I, I and I become friends with him. So I flew out to LA. I hung out with all these dudes and I remember meeting a bunch of them and being like really unimpressed. Mm. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm the new one to California. Like maybe I don't get it. And I remember meeting a couple of these guys and just like really thinking that I can't believe this person wrote this book and then starting to ask them questions about things because I, I took a lot of notes, you know, and I, I'd go, so when you're doing this nonverbal thing that you wrote about in chapter seven, da da da, and I and they like didn't remember it, and I thought like, how do you write a whole book about something and you don't even remember what I'm talking about? Do you not use this stuff? And I remember one guy after like seven drinks was like, man, look, look, we write sales copy, and we write the internet marketing stuff, but I'm really a marketer. Look, I sell dating stuff, I sell nonverbal communication stuff, I sell uh, internet marketing stuff, I sell. Hmm. Fuel economy stuff. I sell survival stuff. And I was like, wait a minute. So this is just like some, this is like a rev stream for you. You don't practice any of this. Hmm. This is like some crap you read in an article that somebody else made up for content marketing in like 2007. And you just repurposed it. Like you're just a, you're just a scumbag, you know? And so I then found that I had to try everything that people recommended because I didn't know what was truthfully real. And what wasn't? And so I started trying everything and figuring out what what would work for me and what seemed authentic and what seemed a little bit counterintuitive, but was still effective. And then I would ask people like my wife and my friends, like, "Hey, when I do this, does this come across as like inauthentic? Because I feel a little inauthentic." And sometimes people will go, "No, it's cool. It it seems fine. You're probably just uncomfortable with reaching out to random strangers with a cold email, for example." You know, I'm not, but I mean, that's a good example. People are like, "I don't want to feel weird." But that stuff works. But then other things, I'll be like, oh yeah, I read this thing and this person does that. And my wife will go, dude, if you do that, you're going to look like an idiot. And I'm like, really? And she, you know, because I'm obviously less socially calibrated than anybody. 
normal woman, who's especially my wife. And so she's like, yeah, you're going to seem weird. Like if someone reached out to you and did this thing and then framed it like this, like you'd get angry. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally would. Mm-hmm. So I really just bounce it off sensible people because for me, I try to be so open-minded, but what's that phrase like be open-minded, but not so open-minded that all your common sense flies out or something like that? <laughs> it's something like that. I've never heard that, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. it's it's Or all your judgment flies out. It's something along those lines. And I tend to err on the side of... Well, it really depends. But sometimes I err on the side of like, I'm just going to try this thing. And my wife is like, don't do that. You look like an a-hole. Like, just stop doing it. And it's not just my wife. You know, I'll, I'll ask other folks too. In fact, the other day I I, I texted. Uh, I'm sure you know Tim Ferriss or like Michael mm-hmm. Port and those guys. I texted those guys and I was like, "Hey, this thing's going on. Am I being unreasonable right now? Like, you guys have been in the game for a minute. What do you think?" And they and they both came back like, "No, this person's asking you to do something that's ridiculous." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it helps to have a circle around you of people that have experience doing what you want to do. And honestly, if you don't have that circle, you could probably reach out to somebody cold and ask them for advice. Because if we're talking about simple advice, you have to get confirmation from someone who has experience. So you don't want to say, Hey, I learned from this Jordan guy to text people every morning to re-engage them. What do you think? And you ask like your shy friend and they're like, No, that's weird. You're going to look weird. And you're like, Oh, I'm not going to do this now. Like, Don't ask that person. Right. But if you reach out to somebody who seems like they're well-connected and say, does this sound like good networking advice? And they might go, oh yeah, I should try that. Or they'll be like, "Mm, no, here's three reasons why that's not going to work. If you don't have people like that in your life, what I would do is reach out to somebody cold. Like You could reach out to me and -hmm. you could be like, hey, look, I, I, I listen to your show. I know you're really busy. I have like one minute question. This person asked me if I should speak for free at their event, should I do it? And I'll be like, no. They're just taking advantage of you. And they're like, oh, thank thank goodness you told me that because all my friends said the same thing, but none of them have ever given a talk. Mm. Right. So like I, I can give you could tweet me that mm-hmm. and I'll reply to you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't think that a lot of influencer-y, and I hate that word, but like that's, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Yeah. I don't I don't think those people I don't I just say I we don't usually mind like the quick one-off thing. It's the people mm-hmm. who write us 17 paragraphs and are like, mm-hmm. so based on the above. What course of action should I take for the rest of my life? And I'm like, they're like, he used to be an attorney, so I should use legalese. And right, I'm going to make this as complicated as possible, so he'll respect me. I, thank I, God, I, Twitter expanded to 240 characters. Yes, <laughs> yeah, no, I honestly, people are like, oh man, I don't want longer tweets. I'm like, no, you know what this means? Shorter emails or because <laughs> people are like, I'll just tweet it at him. It's only 200 yeah. characters. I'm like, yeah. my email volume went like that. My Twitter volume mm-hmm. went like that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read the book, The Last Lecture, or watch the video by Dr. Randy Pausch? I did, yes. Oh, man. I, I would have loved to have had a conversation with him, as I'm sure you would have too, because I mean, like the guy had so much wisdom. Um, one, of the thing, one of the quotes that he shared, I don't think it was his, but it was the first time I had heard it, is that luck is where preparation meets opportunity. That sounds right. And, and you've definitely made your own luck. You know, in, in rare cases, there might be some serendipity, but by and large, you've actually done the work necessary to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. And you even discussed this with uh, Alex Banian, Banian, uh, yeah, Benayan on your show when you interviewed him about his book, The Third Door. But there's a ton of variables, and you're always complimented, by the way, by your guest on your preparation. Like that's a con- common theme that they share. And and I, I in my own experience preparing for interviews, there's a ton of variables and things that go in and things that you're going to dive into. So I'd love to learn about how you go into preparing for a great interview, what resources you use, and and what you carry with you into the interview. And on your interview with Barry Katz, I I thought I heard him said that you have an iPad with you or something. Yeah, I have an iPad with me. So all that's on the app, there's no great secret to any of this stuff. A lot of people are like, well, Jordan's going to share the secrets of this. <laughs> what I do is I read the person's book, which mm-hmm. already puts you in like the 98th percentile of journalists or interviewers because nobody does that. They're like, I'm not going to read a whole book by this person. So if if the book is available, if it's not, then I, I don't. But generally, I even will wait until the book is available. I'll read the whole book. Take a bunch of notes, and then I go on to if the person's like really famous, I'll go on their Wikipedia, 
I'll look at the Amazon reviews for the book. And then I also look at... There's a couple other things that I might do. If it's a somewhat controversial character or a really famous person, then I look on internet forums or fora for conversations about them. Because you'll see things like that just don't make it to Wikipedia, that don't make it to Amazon. Oh, and by the way, the Amazon reviews, the positive ones, you can read like the most positive, most helpful one, whatever. But the, the gold is in the most critical, most helpful one. Mm. Where mm. some scientist is like, I don't like this book because here are the ton reasons. And like, here's this article I wrote about why I don't like this book. Um, the author's a great person and means well, but their theory is fundamentally flawed in these three ways. And you're like, whoa, you know, you get really good juice from that. You don't yeah, get that's smart. Yeah. The, the top 700 five star reviews from their friends and family and colleagues, like they don't matter. But the one that's respectfully written, that's like a well thought out critique, you can also search Reddit, which half the time ends up being like just weird crap that you don't want to read and, and makes you feel bad about humanity. But you can also really get a lot from internet forums. Like There was one person that I interviewed a long time ago that I just couldn't get any information that wasn't super public. They didn't have a book. And I thought like, all right, I can do a good interview, but I, I just want some interesting little angle. And this one person online was like, oh, he's so cool. My friend's dad went to college with him and they were roommates. And I was like, wait a minute. So I wrote to that person and I went, Hey, do you have any cool stories about this person? I'm interviewing them and I want to make it special. And, and they're like, let me reach out and ask my dad. So he did. And he's like, my dad doesn't want to say anything about him because he's so famous and he was always really cool. But I have this funny story about how he accidentally stole my baseball tickets. <laughs> and I was like, so this celebrity guy accidentally stole your, your San, Francisco, San Francisco Giants tickets? And he's like, yeah, I mean, it's not really a funny story, but it's like, here's this little story. So the, I started my interview being like, so this kid, you know, you go to you go to college with his dad, and you end up stealing his baseball tickets. And I'm telling him this story, and he's like, "I had no idea those were his tickets. Like, this is so ridiculous." So he, I think he ended up like on the show being like, "You know what? Let's go see a baseball game." So <laughs> it was like this really funny story that then led into the interview, and I ended up, I believe, cutting that story because it was seemingly irrelevant and long. But the rest of the interview was really jovial because he's like, "Oh." He's Mike's kid's friend. You mm -hmm. know, I wasn't like some random journalist guy interviewer anymore. I was like his college roommate's son's friend mm. in, in his mind. Mm. And so that really changed the shape of the interview. And I like to do things that, that do that. Yesterday, I interviewed Ehud Barak, former prime minister of Israel. Wow. And I read his book and it was like a 20 hour book. I mean, it, it, you know, an audio. And then. But I also told the story about how I had met him once like 20 years ago and in Israel while he was the prime minister and all this stuff. And at the end of the interview, and I'm not just saying this to sort of make myself look good, like it's to your point, this stuff works. At the end of the interview, having read all the prep, having focused on some funny stories that he had told in Hebrew on some other program that I had made notes about, at the end of the interview, he goes, uh, look, we're, we're, we're way over time. And I was like, well, I booked 90 minutes. And he goes, oh, my wife booked 30 minutes. And I was <laughs> like, well, we're at 75 minutes. Do you have time for two more questions? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, really? Okay, good. You know, and I, so I kept going. And at the end of the interview, he, I was like, I'm so sorry for the confusion. I had no idea that we had a 30-minute interview booked. I have a 90-minute slot that your publicist, who I guess was talking to your wife, confirmed. And he goes... And he gave me the biggest compliment I've probably gotten in the last few years. And he said, no, it's okay. I've been interviewed by all the bigwig journalists from all over the world throughout my career as the commander of the Israeli Defense Force and the Prime Minister of Israel. And he goes, but I don't think I've ever had really such an interesting interview. Hmm. And I was like, well... That yeah. made my week. And my producer was like, here we go. Jordan's never going to shut up about that. <laughs> so like, so like I, I just thought that was really cool. And in... in I, I asked him, I was like, really, I'm surprised, you know, because journalists, I think, would be really prepared. And he's like, yeah, but they don't care. And you can tell. Yeah. yeah. They just, they, they don't care. You can, he just, you, you know, they don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was telling us these funny stories and we were just kind of rocking back and forth. And it made me wish that I was like in his office with him because I think we were, we were laughing. I mean, I wasn't like, so when you're negotiating with Palestinians, do you think a two-state solution is the most appropriate? And he's like, hmm, talking point A, talking point B. I was like, I heard you dressed up as a woman when you went into Lebanon to assassinate 
the Munich Olympic terrorists and on the PLO. And he's like, yeah, I put on lipstick. I had women help me putting on eyeliner and all this stuff. And then he talks about these gun battles and he's going in and taking out these guys and stuff. And I said, so what did your wife say when you walked in smelling like gunpowder and you have like smeared eyeliner and lipstick on? You know, and that kind of stuff, then I could segue into, so mm. negotiating with Yasser Arafat, what's the deal? Because you can, it's just like a funny way to segue into to something exciting. But also it shows, I didn't just read the front page of the New York right. Times article from 1997 and like copy the questions that that journalist asked and then like update them for now. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what most interviewers do. They're short on time. They don't care. Their editor's like, you're on the, you're on the Ehud Barak new book beat. And they're like, ah, fine. Right? Yeah. So that's something that you and I are, are blessed to be able to do because we can interview people that we want. We don't have a, an editor going like, oh, I really need something about the new Mexican minister of education. And you're like, this is going to be a crap day now. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, mean, I was just going to say, we have... That's one of the beautiful parts about podcasts like ours and the podcast platform is that you know there, there are those of us that actually do care about the craft and, and the questions and what we're trying to get out of it. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. Maybe you could share why you care. Like when, when you think about your avatar, as people say, or your listeners, like what is your hope when you're, and every interview is different because every person's different, but like what do you hope that your, your guests on average take away from an episode? Yeah. So for me, the, every episode of the Jordan Harbinger show has practical takeaways. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, every episode of the Jordan Harbinger show has worksheets. So mm-hmm. every guest, you're like, oh man, that was cool or you know, confusing or interesting or not interesting, but useful, whatever. But I was at the gym or I was driving. You know, Should I re-listen to this? You can do that, but you can also go to the show notes and then there's a worksheet that's like, oh, uh, Ehud Barak said the top three ways that you need to prepare for negotiation are these. And, and there's like a little kind of cheat sheet in there. And it's like, think about your next negotiation. What are your top three takeaway goals, or you know, kind of whatever, whatever sort of ideas, main ideas are in there? So I I created those worksheets. Well, my team creates those worksheets. Actually, a team of volunteers does it because I want to make the shows as useful as possible. And then, additionally, I realized that every minute of the listener's time has to be earned, mm-hmm. and the second that you are like. Oh, I got to put something out today. Uh, I guess I'll put out this crappy thing because I don't have time to create something. You're really burning the social capital that you build with your listeners. You're burning the trust, right? Because they're like, everything I listen to from this Jordan guy is going to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. That's the reputation that I want to have. Can't afford to have like, oh, hit or miss. Because then people are going to go, I don't know who this guy is. Or unsubscribe. Yeah, unsubscribe. And what I've noticed that I think is is interesting, and I won't mention any names because it doesn't matter, but I've I know a lot slash all of these top podcaster guys mm-hmm. that have been in the game for like four or five years. They do a ton of marketing. You see their ads everywhere. They're always trying to interview celebrities. They're always trying to interview like the top YouTube guy for this, the top entrepreneur for that, the newest celebrity on this television show. If you look at their numbers which you can get by requesting data for advertising. Because they all like, I have 100 million downloads. You're like, cool, send me a one sheet so I can buy ads. And it's like, you have 150,000 downloads. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Because they can't lie. It's fraud, right? They can market and you can stretch the truth and you can frame things. But when advertisers are like, how many downloads am I going to get for this amount of money? They're like, not as many as it said on Instagram. So you can get that data. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird. 
how come this this big show has less listeners, like less than a third of what the Jordan Harbinger show has? That's so weird. I barely market. These guys market all the time. They spend millions because they have products and they're teaching people how to make money online or whatever. And I realized that the chief reason... And I've asked these guys this too. I don't think it's a secret. The chief reason that the show is not as popular is because they get a lot of unsubscribes. Mm. People generally listen for like a month, a year, maybe, Mm -hmm. but generally less. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because they have to constantly... And that's why they have to keep constantly filling in the top of the funnel, right? Like Mm -hmm. Instagram ads, YouTube ads, Google ads, Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. They're constantly funneling people into their show because after eight weeks, people are like, let me guess, same questions, same format, same mm-hmm. discussion, mm-hmm. same topic. Mm-hmm. And then half their listener audience has given up on like generating money online or whatever mm-hmm. it is that they're selling, or they're selling the dream to like millennials, young millennials. And they're mm-hmm. like, you, you too are going to work from home and be able to ride around in Maseratis. Like that stuff, yeah. they just, that audience just moves on to the next. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do, and I think is similar to what you're trying to do, which is like educated professionals that are smart, that understand this is the long game. It's going to take a while. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. They're in this for edutainment, mm-hmm. right? They don't just want to be entertained. They don't just want to be inspired, whatever that means. They don't just want to get motivated. They're already motivated. That's why they're a freaking doctor mm-hmm. or like working hard every day to benefit their lives in some other way or a mom that's raising a bunch of kids. Like These are motivated people. Mm-hmm. They don't need me to be like, you can do it. They mm-hmm. know they can do it. They're freaking doing it already. Yeah. So that audience in, is more valuable because in my, in my opinion, first of all, they are better and smarter and more of a doer audience. And also, they stick around longer mm-hmm. because they realize that going from like this YouTube ad to this other YouTube ad to this other Instagram guy to this cryptocurrency guy is not really how you're going to get successful. Mm-hmm. That's like the dumb guy's game. Mm-hmm. But the smart man's game, smart woman's game is finding one or two influencers, if you will, that you trust. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be that person. But it's harder to be that person than it is to be like, I have $400,000 earmarked for advertising this year to buy leads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's when, whenever I think like, whoa, I'm doing the wrong thing. you know, I'm not doing this high-profile thing or that high-profile thing. I try to remember that I'm doing the thing that, that works, that smart people are engaged in. I'm not doing the thing where I'm trying to catch. I'm getting like a. I have a net that casts in one direction and gets the big, the big fish, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have a giant filter that just scrapes everything off the bottom of the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you see these entrepreneur guys, if you can even call them that, where they're like, "Oh, I have a YouTube video. I'm spending fifteen thousand dollars a day advertising. That leads into my little." Steps booklet that you can buy, and then you just have like seventeen-year-old kids purchasing this by the hundreds of thousands. And so this person looks like they're crushing it, but really they're just trying to figure out how to get mm-hmm. the most people to give them a small amount of money. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of not really about that. Yeah, I'd no, rather no, have, I... you know what I mean? I'd rather yeah. have a hundred thousand or a hundred, two hundred thousand, like really smart, educated, professional people listening than twenty million. YouTube guys that can't spell and leave yeah. comments like how I make million. I, I don't want that on my in my brand. I don't want my customer service people dealing with that. I don't want that bottom feeder type of person at all. Anywhere I, near. I, I think that that's one of the problems with in the entrepreneurial realm right now is is that whole like yeah. funnel this, funnel that, funnel hack this. You know, I mean, like it's you know, there's value in it. But it's being abused, right? Like in a major way right now. Yeah. And you've obviously done a great job investing in your audience and producing that content over the last 11 years. But five months ago, the castle crumbled and you had to commence in a new way. And one of, the, your, one of your fans, also part of Jason's group, asked this question. Her name is Angie. And she wanted to know... What has been the bleakest and most challenging moment in the transition from where you were to where you are now? Yeah, the bleakest moment was right in the beginning because that's when you go, oh my gosh, I have to start over. And and it was like your worst nightmare before. You never thought you were going to have to go through that. 
and you're like, no one's going to find me. I'm not going to have my fans. And those are the people that I was able to serve. And I'm going to have to start. It took me 11 years to build this and all this stuff. Where am I going to make money? And then after a few days, I I'd, immediately I'd made a list of people that I knew would say yes to helping me out. So it was like people who had shows that I could go on right away, people that would spread the word about what I was doing, people that would help out with like temporary, whether it was financial or tech help or whatever, that would just be like, yes, right away. And I knew that that would sort of boost my confidence by giving me a safety net. Mm. So I immediately reached out and connected with those people. And that was hugely helpful mm -hmm. because that gave me the confidence to go, okay, well, since all these people that I knew would say, okay, are already like, I'm taking steps to go on their shows and start over from scratch, then I know I'm going to be okay. Additionally, I have my whole team. Like I, when I left my old company, everyone that I worked with came with me. Oh, wow. So, which was awesome. So I didn't have to, I wasn't starting over in a vacuum where I couldn't do my own thing or couldn't start over or like had to hire people and train them and show them what our mission was or any of that. I left and everyone, it was kind of like, it was kind of like if you get fired and you walk out into the parking lot, you find out that like every single person that you worked with got fired and was like, Hey, let's just start another company. Mm. And so that's exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. We just started another company that does what we want it to do that doesn't deal with the drama and all the BS that the old company had to deal with. Like we were, it was almost like when, when I left and I looked around and I had everyone around me, it was kind of like, wait, did I get fired or did we kind of like, did they kind of like <laughs> fire themselves? Right. And, and that's what it's looking like. 2020 yeah. hindsight, this is the best thing that ever happened to me because the getting was so good with my old company, I probably never would have left. And even the amicable mm -hmm. split that we had negotiated that didn't later on just didn't work out. Mm -hmm. If I had to go through that, I would have been tied up with those guys for forever, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I never, I would have been, it would have been so annoying and messy. Mm -hmm. So this is messy, but it's like ripping off the band aid all at once, even mm -hmm. though it's got a bunch of hair in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. But being, having to figure out how to do that, I mean, that was like the Arab Israeli conflict going back to the Ehud Barak thing. Right. It was like <laughs> one side wanted one thing, the other side wanted another thing. But then it was like, well, actually, let's just keep changing our minds and not making a decision. And when, and one of the problems was, I, I'm decisive, and the people that I work with are decisive, and we get things done, and we choose a direction, we plan it out, and we go for it. And that was one of our greatest frustrations with with working with some other folks in the past. Was it's like, oh, let's table this, let's hem and haw about this, let's change our mind halfway through the project, and that's how you lose money and waste time. Mm -hmm. And so. Ha it, looking at the way things shook out now, it was it was like a quick. It was like falling off the roof and landing on the ground floor. But it was like good, a clean slate. I'm not carrying everyone else's bags up the freaking stairs like I always had to do. To do. You know, I have to carry the whole company myself along with like the marketing team or whatever. You know, like this is this is something that I can build now with people that are competent and confident and want to do it, and we don't have to worry about other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it turned out to be really great. So in the beginning, it was really, really a bummer because it was like, how is this going to work? But a, sh a few short months after doing that, a huge majority of the audience has moved over to the new show. Mm -hmm. and, and we're getting a bunch of new fans that were never going to subscribe to something that was branded you know, the, old, the old way. And, and, and it's, it's a really good opportunity for me to have started over with new products, new clients, new listeners, and uh, new live events. Whereas before it was like steering a big oil tanker, you can only go like, you know, one foot an hour if, or, or a, a month or whatever, mm -hmm. steering in this direction. Instead, I just got to build a new ship and aim it in the direction that I wanted it to mm -hmm. go. Yeah, so, you had your An Andrew Carnegie moment. You know, you could take away all my whatever wealth and, and companies, but give, give me back my men and I'll build a whole brand new thing. That's exactly what it was. It was... I, I first was like, Oh no, I'm so screwed. Oh, good thing I have a good work ethic. you know. Mm -hmm. And people were like, You're talented. You'll be fine. And I remember going like, How am I going to do this alone? And then I looked around and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not alone at all. I actually yeah. have a huge network that I'd spent 11 years building mm -hmm. that was more than willing. It, it was people were like jumping at the chance to help. I was getting calls from people and emails from people that I didn't even know. Mm -hmm. And we're like, hey, we don't really know each other, but I heard what happened. 
you know, come on my show or let's do this thing or here's this other thing that is a great opportunity for you. There was just more opportunity that, that I could deal with. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think most people, when they find themselves on the outside, if they don't build a business, if they didn't dig the well before they were thirsty, they're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do right now? And my question wasn't, what am I going to do right now? It was, which opportunities do I pursue and how do I do it? And which team that's like clamoring to be, do something with us do we choose? And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because it surprised even me. Hmm. It was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And people were like, let's do a JV. Let's do a company. Hey, come work for me. No, let's... I want... No, why don't you and I work on something? And I was like, who are... You know, what? What's going on here? I had no idea. I thought people were going to be like, oh yeah, that sucks, man. Um, anyway, call me in a year when you get yourself back together. Oh God. You thought all the... You thought everybody was going to be like those authors at that party. Who were just fake and had one one way in on YouTube and another way in real life, but because of the investment you made, they, yeah. they showed up. Well, you don't know, right? Because what you hear is like watch ESPN or something. I hate sports. I don't care about it. But like <laughs> watch ESPN for five minutes. One of those documentaries where it's like the rise and fall of this you know particular amazing baseball player from the eighties, and then like somewhere in that documentary, that guy says. I'll tell you what, you find out who your friends are or like watch like an MC Hammer documentary. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you find out really quick who your friends are. They're not talking about like, you're going to be so pleasantly surprised at all these friends you have. <laughs> That's not what they're talking about, right? Yeah. They're talking about like, you look around and you're like, well, guys, we've hit on some hard times and there's no one behind you. And you're like, wait a minute, what the hell? I supported all these people for a long time. That wasn't what happened to me, but that's what I expected. Yeah, That's what people say. You know, they say like, "Oh, you lo- you lose your platform, you lose your business. Like, people aren't going to be around anymore." And that was not the case at all. And which, which was great because it made it showed me that I made the right kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I really did have good people, and I I got a lot of really nice notes from folks that were that were like, "Look, if you if I could buy stock in you, I would." And mm-hmm. I'm like, "That's a really cool mm-hmm. thing to mm-hmm. hear and it mm-hmm. wasn't just lip service you know i would hear this as they're handing me a check and they're like this is a loan don't worry about it mm. or like here's a gift based on value i've gotten from you over the years is you know take it and and launch something cool you know yeah so powerful you know I, the and and if, i i am actually a little bit surprised that you were surprised you know uh, by that because i having listened to your show for a long time i would have Never doubted that the community that you've built, because I've listened to the way that you've built it, you know, I I had no doubt that people would show up, including myself. And and as soon as I, you know, there was like a gap. I'm like, hey, what what happened to the art of charm? You know, there was like, there was like a silence for a little bit, and then mm-hmm. and then you popped back up, and I'm like, okay, let's let's do this. You know. Yeah, and I had no way to connect with the old audience, right? Like, I wasn't able to send an email out. I wasn't able to go on our social media and do anything like that. I wasn't able to do anything. I mm-hmm. had to start from the beginning because it wasn't like I, I know that Art of Charm says it's an amicable separation. It's not. That's just mm-hmm. a falsehood that is designed to make I think people look good when, frankly, I'm just not going to. I'm not going to cover for that. That's not what happened at all. Mm-hmm. And so. But I wasn't allowed to go like, hey, I'm starting this new thing. This is happening. It That was not in the cards. That was not something that I was able to do. And so starting over was like, I have to get the word out. But that turned out to also be a blessing because if they would, if they had let me like send emails out and send, do say a farewell on the show, I don't know if I would have been as motivated as I am now mm-hmm. about being everywhere to make sure that everyone knows. So it's kind of funny how that sort of backfired because I think the idea was F Jordan. Mm-hmm. And now the idea... that Now, what, what ended up happening was it was like such a fire lit under my butt that I'm like, yeah, I will literally outwork the entire company now. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. will proceed to outwork every single person in the old organization myself, plus mm-hmm. have all of the all-stars on my side. I listened to an episode way back, probably around a year ago now at this point, but it was when you had Simon Sinek on most recently. And you were talking to him a lot about your purpose and your why. And I sensed this kind of tone in your in your voice that things might be changing and you were questioning like what's going on with myself and where I'm going. Did you kind of have an inkling of that this change was on the horizon at that time? 
No, I mean, I had Simon Sinek on the Jordan Harbinger show a few months back, but that was after I'd already left. But it, okay. I, no, the me leaving Art of Charm, I found out because I got a, I had gotten a call from a bunch of my team that was like, we all just got fired. And I was like, what? I didn't authorize this. So then when I reached out to my partners at Art of Charm, they were like, oh yeah, you're fired too. That's how I found out. This wasn't like, this isn't working. Let's, we're going to have to set... That wasn't it at all. It was like, get your shit and leave. It wasn't... Yeah, this was not done in a way that was responsible. Dang. Yeah. No, no, no. This, this was not done in a way that was responsible. And it, it was basically like... And I, I shouldn't speculate on this, but it was done in a way that was designed for emotional impact, not with, with, with no regard to mm. how this was actually going to turn out mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. anyone. You know, you actually wrote a beautiful piece on forgiveness. I think it's your most recent article that you published on your on your website, and and specifically, you taught you referred to it as a hidden superpower, and I totally agree with you. So, I'd love for you to share what you've learned about forgiveness and the process of forgiveness in particular through this recent journey. Yeah. So, a lot of people who preach the forgiveness thing, what I've noticed when when you try to question them about this process, they actually don't, not everybody, but a lot of people don't really seem to have any sort of nuts and bolts. They're just sort of like, oh yeah, just decide that you forgive people. And I'm like, yeah, that's an unrealistic, weird thing that I think sort of smacks of what's called spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that term is essentially when somebody's like, Oh, I'm Zen. Nothing affects me. And you're like, I don't know, man. You know, you just lost your job. Like, you're going through this really hard time. Your wife left you and your kids hate you and you've got a debilitating disease. And they're like, no, no, forgiveness, meditation, Zen. And you're like, yeah, you're going to be, you're going to shoot somebody. Like, (laughs) you need to let some stuff out. Like, you're going to harm yourself or someone else. And I found that there's no nuts and bolts to that. So I started investigating this process. And what I realized was people who, sort of preach this stuff tend to be either completely clueless about how it actually works and are secretly just super angry but are repressing it so well they don't even know it mm-hmm. or they're forgiving people but they're doing it in a in the way that I think is probably a little bit more practical and so what I found was forgiveness doesn't mean I'm not going to be or I'm not going to remember this I'm just going to forget all about it like if you forgive a friend that does something terrible to you it doesn't mean that you pretend that that thing never happened. Mm-hmm. It, it means that you're letting go of the suffering resulting from that being attached to them. It doesn't mean you don't feel bad about it anymore. It doesn't mean you go to lunch the next day and you pretend it never happened. None of that is the case. It means that you are no longer going to focus on them as the cause of this. Mm-hmm. That's all that it means. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even mean that you don't feel negative consequences anymore. Mm-hmm. So, because I think a lot of times people are like, oh, forgiveness means you just ignore all this negativity and you forget them. And then you're like, oh, let's think about the good times. That's mm-hmm. a huge mistake and very foolish mm-hmm. and naive. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get divorced from somebody because they stole all your money and ran off and with your kids and all your belongings, like you can forgive them, but it doesn't mean that you call them on and you wish them well or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. That is baloney. Mm-hmm. That's one of those like, that's the spiritual bypassing stuff. Like, wish everyone well because karma, mm-hmm. F you. Like, yeah. that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. What this means is you decide, you know what? I'm not going to wake up every morning and just be angry at how my life turned out by blaming this other person. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was powerful. It means you don't forget about it. You don't even have to worry about letting go of the emotions because that stuff happens automatically. So then you're not trying to figure out how to get rid of those emotions mm-hmm. at all. You also use the event to motivate you instead of using it to keep you down. And forgiveness also... Part of this is realizing that it's okay to feel a certain way because I think a lot of people, what they do is they go, oh no, you got to forgive them because it's not okay to feel like someone should go die in a fire. And it's like, no, you're totally allowed Mm -hmm. to hold a grudge and be angry with people. Mm -hmm. That's not what... Forgiveness has nothing to do with your you being allowed to feel a certain way. You should absolutely indulge that for a while as long as it doesn't define you and your actions and your life, right? Forgiveness is about just getting rid of the attachment to that Mm -hmm. particular person's action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge realization because like I said, most of the people preaching this forgiveness stuff have no freaking clue how it works. Mm -hmm. It's It's all about repression. 
It's all about repressing the feelings. It's all about telling you that what you feel is not okay somehow because, you know, higher power, whatever, because Buddha, right? Mm -hmm. And that's total BS. Mm -hmm. That's complete baloney. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, if you go back to some of those old scriptures or whatever, those old belief systems, that stuff's nowhere in there. Mm-hmm. That is not in there at all. Mm-hmm. Like you look at uh, old old school like Islam, Judaism, Buddhism. Those people had swords. <laughs> they, they weren't decorative, man. You know, yeah. they were not freaking. These were badass warriors. They weren't mm-hmm. like no, mm-hmm. you know, peace and love. That all that is new age crap. That is mm-hmm. not based on science. It's not based on a functional belief system for a society at all. It's just mm-hmm. hippie stuff in large part. How has your community also influenced your ability to forgive along the way? Yeah, it's hard to be super angry at anybody or anything when the news of your future is so exciting. And every time you do something, you're building. And every day, you're getting these awesome notes from people. Like Every day, we get notes that are like, I'm so glad I found the new show. It's so great. I love what you're doing. It's even better now. I can't wait to take part in what you're doing. Events-wise, when are your products coming out? It's hard to be like, well, this other thing happened to me a long time ago and it was wrong. It's like, whatever. It's kind of like being angry because you sold a house and then it burned down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's in your, it's not your house. Yeah. Let it burn, man. You, you know, know like, uh, funny it's story. Far, but... Funny story, guys. I had Lou Holtz on in March of this year and his house burned down, their house and all of his memorabilia. Oh, man. And, he and his wife uh, stepped outside and that morning we're looking at it across the street and his wife is crying and he's upset as well. But he's like, honey, we're going to give ourselves 24 hours to be upset and then we got to move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's really powerful, you know? It is. Hal Elrod's like that. You know, dude gets like cancer and then gets hit by a truck or something and is like, I'm only giving myself 15 minutes to complain. I'm like, Bro, give yourself 45 at least. <laughs> You're good. You I know. have my permission. Mean, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay to feel those emotions, and, but just not let them just be unproductive. Right, exactly. Yeah. You, you know, I spent a little bit of time being like, ah, wah. And occasionally there are days where I'm like, you know what? I'm angry right now. And then my wife's like, cool, uh, let me know when you're done with that and we'll go eat. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like... You can you can let it go. For oh, that's another thing. Forgiveness doesn't happen like I decided to forgive today. Like people say, it's all about just deciding. No, that's complete baloney. You're supposed yeah. to process this stuff, and it's going to come back in in waves. And the mm-hmm. idea is that you should realize you have power over some of this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, some days you're going to look at some other thing, and it's going to remind you of this your ex wife mm-hmm. or something, and you're going to be like, I was wrong. And then yeah. it's like, and now I'm good. You know. Yeah. And the best thing that you can do is work on yourself and, and, you, and look at your community and supporters and things like that. And that really, that really is super helpful uh, for, for moving on and moving past things. Mm-hmm. This has been a, a fun conversation, very insightful. Uh, as we begin to wrap up, I have a few more questions, but I do want to make sure that we point people in the, the right direction to connect with you on all of the platforms that you are on now sure. and where they can learn about the live events that you're doing and the and the offerings that you'll be coming out with in the near future. Sure. So I teach and interview amazing people at the Jordan Harbinger Show, which people can find anywhere they listen to podcasts uh, or at jordanharbinger.com. And of course, advancedhumandynamics.com is where I have info on live events and advancedhumandynamics.com, the level one course that I have there. That's all the networking tips, tricks, relationship development stuff. It's all free. So advancedhumandynamics.com and the Jordan Harbinger Show really is where I, I hope people can come and find me. And like I said before, I think I'm on social at, at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter and Instagram. You know, when I had you on the show the very first time, I opened up with the question about if you could pick any superpower, what would it be? And you said freeze time. Okay. Oh, yeah. But so I, I've, I, I've closed with that question now and I've kind of switched it up. And the question is now, if you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Skill that I currently... put. Well, how would you turn a skill you currently possess and turn it into a superpower? Just like turn it up to 11? Yeah, you just got to... You know, it's just, that's, that's why we're, God gave us an imagination. So I can't be like, never sleep again, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm, 
Jeez, I don't know. I feel like when I need to focus and get something done, I can do that, but it runs out. So I'd be like, this never runs out. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I like that. Focus. Because I noticed that if I could be more useful after like 3 or 4 p.m., oh my gosh, I would have so many more things going. Oh, yeah. But after like 3 or 4 p.m., I'm like, look, I can read after <laughs> <laughs> but I am toast. Yeah, no, I that three I, I leave at three thirty and I go to the gym because that's that's all I'm good for at that point. Exactly. Yeah. What are th- what are three lies that prevent people from bouncing back or fully realizing what they're capable of? People think that it's going to take as long as it took in the beginning. So like, it's not going to take me eleven and a half, twelve years to rebuild. In fact, it's probably not even going to take me like one year to do that because people don't realize the timeline is different now. There are more tools now. You have a network now. You have a work ethic now. You have knowledge now. You have a team now. Whatever it is, you're not. It's not. You're not going to have that stumbling, weird path you had in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just part of that same path. It seems mm-hmm. like a fresh start, but it's part of the path. And then the other thing that people think is, oh, well, I had this early market advantage, or oh, there's too much competition now. When I started my show. In 2006, my old show, I was like, no one's ever going to find it. There's 800 shows in here. Now there's half a million podcasts. And I would say it's still early because people are still going to fall out. People are going to... This whole trendy thing is going to sort of bail. People are going to realize it's hard. The people who with talent and work ethic are going to survive. Someone's going to figure out how to make discoverability a thing that's actually usable instead of crappy iTunes or like Mm -hmm. search algorithms. Um, there's all kinds of opportunity in the in the space, any space that you're in, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it's YouTube, podcasting, whatever, or selling widgets. And another lie I think people have is that, and I forget what it was, a lie that keep people from starting over. Oh, that that they're even starting over ever because you're never actually going to be starting over if you have a network. It, that's why I teach the networking stuff at Advanced Human Dynamics because I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, this was the one, this is the one thing people can't take away from you. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing, like you always have your network and your reputation unless something horrible goes wrong. And you will never be like, oh no, how do I do this? Cause you're going to reach out to your connections and go, so I'm starting again. And people are like, great, a guy with a bunch of connections, a work ethic, a platform, a voice, talent, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to call it. People are going to be jumping to, to work with you on that. And then you're going to go, oh, if I, Remember when you start your business, you're like, I don't know how to advertise online. Now you're like, how do I advertise online? And all these ad experts are like, I would love to work with you. Great. Okay, cool. Here's what I got. That kind of stuff, you're never really starting over. In fact, a lot of times, the people that are starting over are the people that you think just jumped you because they're the ones that maybe like started or took your thing or did it. They're starting over. They don't know what they're doing. You're mm-hmm. the one that got released. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to reframe that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. A lot of people think they're starting over when really they've just been unchained. Mm-hmm. I love that, dude. That's powerful. The, the last question, and, and then after this, I want you to give people a call to action on, on whether it's networking, whether it's believing in themselves or, or, or something, whatever comes to mind. Uh, but the, the last question is, now it's 200 years from today, and a great artist has been commissioned to craft a monument that encapsulates the life of Jordan Harbinger and the impact he had on the world. What are the most meaningful moments you would want him to carve into stone for future generations to see? Oh, man, that's so hard. I have no idea. I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to care about me in 200 years. I know that's depressing, but like, let's admit it. My relevance then, zero. So I really don't know. I think... I'm hoping that something in the future is worthy of being carved into stone. Maybe I'm like holding up my my baby like like a lion <laughs> pig, something like that. I don't know. But I have no idea. I think right now is the beginning of the impact, hopefully, that I'm making. Mm-hmm. So right now, I just kind of feel like I'm still mm-hmm. sharpening the axe, building my skill set as an interviewer, broadcaster, and building a functional platform. So I don't know. I, I really don't have any sort of grandiose like this is gonna be amazing and everyone's gonna care. It's unlikely. I love the humility. You know, humility is where fertility is. So maybe you are gonna have a baby here in, in the near future. Yeah, you never know. I hope so. <laughs> um so so call to action. Let, let's give people an idea of something that they should go and do immediately upon listening to the show besides going to advanced human dynamics because we will push that as well. Great. So I would say that really 
people should be digging the well before they're thirsty and creating these relationships. AdvancedHumanDynamics.com has the level one class. Go do this stuff. It's free. It's just a bunch of videos about re-engaging weaker or dormant ties, creating stronger relationships, every, little practices you have to do every day. Mm. Is the one area you can't make up for lost time. You cannot make up for lost time. You have to build those relationships before you need them. So don't procrastinate mm. and be like, I don't even have a website. Oh, I need to build this prototype. You have to start now. Mm -hmm. Even if you think you have no value to offer, or you're broke, whatever. You have to start right now or you will regret it. Even if you start right now, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I'd started this 10 years ago. That's that's how valuable this is. It's mm -hmm. the most important skill set and asset that you can build is networking and relationships. So go do that stuff literally right now, starting today. Jordan Harbinger, that is incredibly powerful advice to conclude the show. Thanks for joining us again on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. You got it. Thank you. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.